This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Golf Rugby Report. I missed my guys last time we did a solo show, which was actually kind of fun to do. But uh, we are back with everybody, Pat Clifton, Bruce McLean. We actually have a, uh, some uh, an audio interview with Mike Friday as well. We have everything that we could possibly want. Uh, and, and Pat and Bruce are back. Bruce, of course, I didn't see you in Las Vegas. Uh, Pat, I did see you in Las Vegas, and it was um, – uh, I'm – I'm not ashamed to say shed a tear in our reunion. No, it was, it was really good. And, uh, you know, those the little insider, uh, Vegas for what we do is traditionally Friday nights, really late nights. And we wouldn't leave the stadium until, you know, got awfully late time this year. We left a little earlier, but, uh, so we, we usually go to this late night Japanese place. Um, and we're like the only people, um, I'm definitely the only guy using a fork in the whole restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, but no, it was good. We shared some sake, shared a little, a little Kirin and, uh, some raw octopus. And it was actually quite a lot of Kirin, but yes. Uh, it was good. yeah, I, I do love the look you get when you say, can I have a fork? Like you. All right. Yeah. Um, they may make... look like the guy who's using a fork though. They, they, they don't, they don't look at me and think chopsticks. No, that's true. But uh, you know, we we we've had uh, a lot of people with us at at, at different times, and and we make fun of uh, uh, Ian Muir, who's been he was an excellent photographer, um, and has done shots for Rugby Mag and Rugby, Rugby Today, and also for Golf Rugby Report. Um, but Ian eats like boiled beef and potatoes and maybe fried chicken. That's all he eats. And we take him to this place and he just uh, turns white when he sees the stuff. So the, we would... the way I like to describe Ian is if anybody's seen the show Idiot Abroad, he's basically <laughs> Carl Pilkington's character. <laughs> he is a lot like that. He he's easy he reminds me of Eeyore to to a certain extent. He, yeah. he's he's a he's a terrific guy. I actually um I traveled around with him and uh shared a hotel room with him in Dubai. Um, where he ordered exactly the same thing every night to eat. And unless I pushed him and said, come on, we're going somewhere else, he would have done, you know, he'd just have the same thing three days in a row, three three times a day. Anyway, well, that was that was an enjoyable time. The USA uh, finished fourth at, uh, at, at the Las Vegas Sevens, and that was enjoyable. Uh, the weather was terrific. The crowd was big. Um, it was nice to see the USA uh, doing well leading into the tournament, all those things. Um, all of those things uh, came together. Bruce, did you watch it on TV? I thought it was pretty impressive the amount of fans that were there. I thought it was pretty impressive the way the the U.S. played, especially on uh, in, in in the preliminary rounds, and it was uh, and getting themselves to the quarterfinals. It was great. It, I arguably probably the best one based on what I saw television wise. As far as fun, excitement, crowd, everything, it might it probably has exceeded all expectations. Well, we talked to Mike Friday about it. Uh, I talked to Mike Friday about it, uh, and and uh, it was interesting to see how he felt after a few days' perspective and a little bit of time back uh, back at his home in the UK. Uh, so here's the interview with Mike Friday here on Rocket Matrix America. All right, this is Alex Goff uh, with Rugby Matrix America Golf Rugby Report. Uh, we're here with the uh, USA Men's Sevens coach Mike Friday, uh, who's uh, graciously um, taken time out of his busy two-job 
work day to uh, uh, talk with me. And uh, Mike, it's great to talk to you. We're we're coming in after the uh, Las Vegas Sevens. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Um, with some perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think overall um, we're happy with with the progression we're making. Um, I think we've certainly shook the world a little bit, and we're now seen as as competitors on the circuit, whereas previously we were just seen as a as a team and a country that participated. So, you know, from that perspective, I think um, looking at it in in the round in the whole. I'm comfortable with, with the progression and, and the evolution um, and the changes that the boys have brought into both culturally and how we approach and how we play the game. Um, I think specifically when I look at that semi-final against New Zealand, I'm, I'm, I'm left a little bit disappointed. Um, right. Purely and simply because we were in that game and for, again, some very critical refereeing decisions... Um, at critical times, which led to the New Zealand third try just before half time, and and their fourth try, where Zach Tested clearly um, won the poach, um, it could have been a very different story. Um, but I think that's the nature of where USA is. We, you know, whether we like it or not, we're a tier two rugby nation, uh, and we've got to make sure we win these games convincingly or or unanimously in order to, to get the rub of the green on, on 50-50s we deserve. Um, you know, we made some mistakes. Of course, we did in that game against New Zealand, but so did New Zealand. But, um, you know, that's par for the course in, in, in a high-pressured semi-final. But what you do expect is to get very clear 50-50s that are in your favour um, when there's, shall we say, some mischief going on at the breakdown. Right. And, and I, I think we could do an entire show about... Uh, <laughs> The, the mysteries of the breakdown um, the, there are um, and I, and I talked with um, uh, Pat McNally uh, who who works with the referees uh, was working with USA rugby about some of the the issues with regard to the breakdown and um, essentially saying for for longtime observers it's unclear you know what wh why was that a penalty and why was that not um, you know the the releasing of the the releasing of the tackled player first of all is is fraught with all kinds of difficulties because if you release too quickly then he's not held in the tackle and I, it seems to me and I, I don't know if you've seen this it seems that a player like you know Zach Test makes the tackle jumps up really fast releases really quickly and then is on the ball really quickly he's so fast that the referee thinks that's got to be a penalty. Well, uh, you know, it, believe it or not, it's actually quite straightforward. It's a very simplistic part. And the first and foremost is, forget the release and all that. It's, it's first and foremost, is the tackler a tackler or a tackler assist? Because that dictates where he can stay on what side of the ball. That's the first thing. Then it's about whether or not the tackler has released the tackle player. And there must be clear daylight. So it's not about how quick. It's got to be clear daylight between you as the tackler and the tackle player prior to playing the ball. And that's probably where Zach on occasion has probably been too clear and he's not been clear enough at creating the space between him and the tackle player. Thereafter, it's about making sure that you stay on your feet and, and are not, and are not um, holding your body weight with your, with your hands. And then it's about the entry of the clearer and who he's looking to hit. So the processes are very clear and, and I, I, I fully understand that to, to the layman and the man watching, sometimes the picture, it looks wrong when it's right. 
But to us coaches uh, and the players, all, all we crave is consistency of interpretation at the breakdown. Everybody lives with errors. That's part of the game, be it that player error, be that referee error, etc. But what you're after is consistency of interpretation. Um, and if you get consistency of interpretation, irrelevant of what colour shirt you wear, be it a black shirt or be it a blue shirt, then that is all you can ask for in the in the game of rugby. And, um, you know, I've raised it. I, I question whether the when a Tier 2 nation plays, as I would say, the, the superpower Tier 1 nation, of which I class New Zealand, Australia, South Africa and England in that, um, whether you get the rub of the green if it's a 50-50 call or whether that unconsciously goes towards that Tier 1 nation. Right, uh, and I, th I think that's a fair question. And, and, it, and coming from someone like you it, it's it's a it, it sounds a little bit better than coming from an american coach who uh <laughs> you know who might have sour grapes you've been around at different levels so yeah i mean you know i've i've been a tier one nation and and i got the benefit of that on occasions you know where the where it gets a little bit should we say fruity is when it's a tier one nation on tier one nation um but i've also witnessed it when i when i coached kenya and and, and right. you know there were there were times where you know, you, you, you don't seem to get that, that rub of the green. Um, but, you know, that's part of the game and, and, and I can't dwell on that and I won't dwell on that. I mean, the reality is, as a, as a, as a country and as, and as a squad, we'll deal with the things that we can control. And, you know, and what, what won't happen is I won't go away from the coaching panel and I will, I will demand um, consistency of interpretation. Um, you know, there's a, 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 there are a number of, coaches probably of tier two nations that feel and, and 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 feel the same way but probably won't speak up but unfortunately as an Englishman that um that sometimes <laughs> I'm not afraid to speak up which sometimes right. does get me into trouble that's fine <laughs> well, what, one more thing on this topic was Danny Barrett's comment to me that um the players felt that you were going to bat for them on this issue and that um inspired them to play a little bit harder for you well that's i mean that's lovely to hear i mean you know i i want to give them a hundred percent like they give me a hundred percent i'll leave i'll leave no stone unturned for those boys um and i will i will i will fight every battle that that is that is there to be fought but the reality is i you know i crave fairness um and i crave as as a competitive sportsman myself and as a competitive coach all i want is a is a level playing field a fair playing field for my boys to go out there and do themselves proud, um, and 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 not feel like they that they are being recognised in a different way to 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 the opposition. So, you know, that's that's they're lovely words to hear from from your player from your, from your players because you know I'm in the trenches with them, and you right. you contribute your way, um, and and you stand up for what you believe in, um, and that's what the boys are doing on the pitch. Um, that's what we're doing every day in training, and we're trying to get better for the people we represent. Uh, and, and part of that is ensuring that is, there's, there's fairness in our eyes um, off the pitch. And if, it's, if we don't feel that way, then we will speak up. We will, we will not hold, we will not stay silent because that, that distracts us. Very good. Well, one of the strange things about the Las Vegas Sevens is that it, it always seems like, it, it, like the, uh, the USA team kind of struggles in little areas they they get nervous and um they've thrown away winning 
situ winning positions at games in Las Vegas and talking to some some of the coaches we've had sometimes they feel like the the team wants so much to perform in front of their home crowd that they sometimes you know just grip that ball a little bit too tight um i didn't i didn't really see that this time and i thought that that game against canada uh what you know was a tough physical game and the canadians have a huge uh, fan following in vegas too and yet 20 to nothing i mean in the end it, it it was a pretty convincing win for the usa i thought that was perhaps the one game that was most impressive to me yeah i mean you know it's always it's always great to get one over your your, your biggest rivals um you know, but I, I think what we showed in that game was our ruthlessness. I think the reality is that they had the ball for the first minute and a half and and they didn't go anywhere. And then we got the ball, we kept the ball, we scored. We then kicked, we got the ball, we scored. We then kicked off, we got the ball, we scored. We just showed a ruthless edge. We made, we made few mistakes, we dominated the game. And even when they had possession on our line, we showed that no one will cross our line. Um, and that's the intent that we're going to need if we want to be successful on the circuit. But also when we come up against probably a very different Canada team, uh, potentially at the Olympic qualifier, qualifier. But what you're also seeing is an evolution of a team and a culture that are starting to recognise that being part of a team is about being selfless and contributing for the betterment of the team. It's not about individual stats. It's about the team stats first and foremost and, and how you fit into that team and how you contribute. And you share success and you share, you share failure. Um, you know, so where, whoever scores, he scores for the team and they celebrate as a team. If we lose, we lose as a team. We don't point fingers. And, you know, that, that I think is probably one of the biggest learnings in the evolution in the culture we've seen over the last six or seven months. And it's, it's not come easy. It's credit to those boys and, and the, the, the changes that they have consciously decided to make, both in the way that they approach their rugby, but also how they approach one another on and off the pitch to be part of a team. You are getting that. I mean, you you see you actually see that in the statistics in terms of the try scoring numbers, which are spread out all through the team, um, and and players seem to be playing what's in front of them. And go back to the Canada game again: three tries down the left tram line, because that's where somebody was available, and that's you know using you know a little bit more physical uh, running. That's where the that's where the tries were. And yeah, they were. And, but, but again, if you, if you look back at the, at the tape, what you'll see is, is the work that's done the right-hand side, which, mm -hmm. which draws in that Canada defence, which we knew actually tightened up. So we'd done our work, and, and, and whilst you've got the boys dotting down and flying through the air, scoring down that left flank, the reality is the people we should be thanking were the boys that made the dents down the right flank and cleared the rucks and then shifted the ball quickly. Um, and, and that's the understanding and the appreciation of each other that's starting to come through. They, they're starting to, they're studying the game now, they're educated in the game and they recognise who creates what for who and how they can best create for each other uh, as well as themselves because also you've got to know when it's time to go. I mean, a really good example of that was, was Macca's third try against South Africa in that pool game. He just knew it was his time to go up the middle yep. because he, he assessed the spaces his spaces was good. The spaces out wide were quite good, but not quite as good as him. And he had a one-on-one -on, -one on his feet and he went. And that is the decision-making and the clarity of decision-making that we're trying to instill in these guys. And hopefully they're starting to pick up and get better at doing. Good. Uh, what happened, speaking of South Africa, what happened in that second South Africa game? Was it just sort <laughs> of a game too far? Yeah. 
I mean, absolutely a game to. I mean, look, you know, when we're as I've said to you, we're far from the finished article. Yeah. Far, far from the finished article. We're on a journey, and what you saw in that last game was the difference between a team that is number one in the World Series at the moment and a team that's aspiring to to to, to kind of get itself into the, the top echelons because the reality is that they mentally recovered from their semi-final loss and we didn't. And you need to be, your mental resolve and your mental application in the sevens environment is unforgiving if you're slightly off. And we were off in that game. We were done. We were fatigued mentally as a result of what happened in, in, the, in the semi-final. We weren't physically fatigued because the boys are in very, very good nick. But what it showed is that we've got some real work-ons on our mental development of our game um, and that's not just you know sitting with psychologists in theory that's about practical anchoring and, pract- and practical association so that they have tools in their bag so they're able to cope and then come out reset re-energize and then go after those extra couple of points in the series and that's exactly what South Africa did and they did a proper job on us um, and that's credit to them and where they are and where we aspire to try and get to. Well, it was the USA's first ever uh, third-fourth game because the last time they lost in a semifinal, there was no third-fourth game. Uh, so it, that's, I, I, you know, that I think you're right. The the I, you make a point about the um, the fact that teams are used to it. Teams that play in a lot of these semifinals are used to the, picking themselves up and playing that third-fourth. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're new to it, it it's a it's a, a mental leap. Um, Okay. Uh, so, so what? What's next? What do you want to um, have the guys work on, or you know, how how do you turn around and continue this progression, and not just sort of, you know, rest on the laurels and say we've got a lot well, of yeah. points? And, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, yeah, I mean, you're spot on, Alex. I mean, that's that's that we've we've achieved nothing. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. we've still achieved nothing. You know, we're we're a work in progress group, and they 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 need to re- realize what they're what they're capable of, what 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 they could achieve, if they continue working hard. So physically, we still need to continue working as as we are, because we, again, we can still be better in that area. You know, in that semi final, we made some technical errors and we made some tactical mistakes. So we need to reflect on that and and and, and try and minimise them even more, because I think if we could have minimised a few of them, we would have controlled the ball more than we did. We need to get a little bit smarter in the breakdown. And part of that is this, as I've talked about already, is getting this consistency of interpretation. Or we've got to learn to cheat as well as those top four teams. <laughs> it's one, you know, and, and I, I would hope that we would get that consistency in interpretation because I think that's the key to sevens. It, and I think that's, that's, the, that's, that's how it should be because that, to me, epitomised fairness. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll work on those areas. I'm, I'm requesting real clarity as to what is legal and what is not. And myself and, and the coaching staff are smart enough coaches to make those adjustments for the players. So I will get that guidance from uh, from Paddy O'Brien, uh, and then I will I will then execute it on the coaching pitch. And and then if if Paddy O'Brien then decides to change his mind, then we'll be back to square one. You know, um, having very frank conversations. But for me, the, the the single most important development need that we need to do is we, mentally we've got to develop that part of our game. Um, and that's 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 you know the mental resolve, the mental edge, the mental anchoring, understanding how to control your emotions and channel them to get the perfect performance, is a big part of professional sport uh, and one that big bird rugby players try to brush under the carpet. 
the clever athletes, the top sportsmen, the, you know, the, the Richie McCaws of this world, the Kieran Reeds, they embrace the mental part of the game. Uh, and they're prepared to be open to consider and seek help and assistance to become better in that element because that allows them to think clearly when there's chaos all around them. And if you can, if you, if you can almost slow the game down in your head whilst it's going a million miles around your, your body, then um, that's when you start to see the real class players. And we've got players with real ability. We've got players that are fast learning the game and, and, and picking up the, the, the tactical elements. But this mental development, which is the toughest kind of pillar um, to put in place, but also, you know, it's, it's a big key to unlock and you need the players to want to change and embrace it, which sometimes takes a fair while from their convincer strategies, um, is the next step for us over, over, okay. the, over this next period. Okay. In, in terms of your, uh, the pool of players that you have and that you've been bringing into camp and you've been um, shaking things up a little bit, which is, um, I think, a lot of people like, and the, the idea of the, you know, the, the open tryout and, and actually having someone like uh, Ahmad Hareli uh, get into the team shows sort of an open, you know, a, an open tryout kind of mindset. But how many, how many players do you have at your disposal that you think are World Series caliber players? I don't know, is the honest answer. Um, I think there's probably between 16 and 20 that are capable of playing on the world circuit. Um, but for a, for a nation of our size, that's a small number. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's a load of players out there that we haven't got access to because it's just so hard logistically to, for them to get seen. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the challenge that Alex Magleby, you know, in his role as director of sevens and, and 15s, now high performance manager, has embraced. And we're getting better at. But as I've said to you before, I, I didn't realise how big the USA was. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a vast country. And, you know, even Ahmed, you know, to travel to get to a decent club is to train. It's two hours there, two hours back. So, you know, logistically, it's impossible for him to get the opportunity to be seen unless he comes to these open tryouts. So, you know, that's a guy that's got six or seven years six or seven years worth of experience of rugby that just can't get, can't get seen. So I'm sure there's others like that uh, and there might be others that are more talented. So, you know, Alex is putting these kind of development academy op uh, in place. Um, I think, like I said to you previously as well, I think getting uh, an established high school programme um, whereby they position rugby as something that will complement those guys that are trying to go to college to play American football and basketball is the way forward because if those guys don't make it in their college football or basketball through to professional, then they've got six years education of rugby under their belt and they can take up a different sport. And it's a lot easier picking up a sport with six years experience than starting from scratch at 22, 23. They're fantastic athletes, these guys, but they need a rugby education because you need to be a rugby player first. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm all for broadening the pool. I'm all for, find, you know, open to... to to considering people but you know the filter is Alex because Alex understands the USA he understands how it all works and you know our working relationship is very very close and, and, and very very trustworthy one kind of front of shop he's research and development um, and between us we we come to a view um, but you know you know as well as I do nobody's a sacred cow um, everybody everybody will has the opportunity to earn an opportunity 
Um, and, you know, Ahmed did that. But, you know, the other guy that we held at that um, camp, um, Matai, mm-hmm. you know, impressed significantly in the Falcons. Um, and, you know, he, he is now working with us to physically get him into condition where he is. And if we can get him where he is, he could be a real handful. The one thing that, and you, you mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier in this conversation, the, the one thing that's hovering over everybody is, uh, is Olympic qualification. Um, you're actually now, I, I, <laughs> amazingly, <laughs> legitimately in the conversation to talk about finishing top four um, in, in this series. Probably not going to happen, but you know, you're seventh and moving up, which is a lot better than it's been in the previous years. But realistically we're talking about a uh the the tournament um in north carolina where you have to beat canada um is that uh, how much do you think about that how much are you preparing for that um and uh, and you know what do you expect from that well i think i think we're preparing every day because you know you know every day is a training day for for that for that game um, you know, every every game we play on the series is a is a dress rehearsal for that game. Um, so we, you know, we, we're preparing every day for it. You know, I mean, you're right. Top four, unfortunately, <laughs> top four is potentially back on the agenda. I mean, we're going to have to go some, but you know, if we have a good showing in Hong Kong, you never know, do you? Mm-hmm. So you know, we, we'll focus on the here and now, and we'll just take every game that comes there. And if it comes our way, it does. If it doesn't, then we'll be battle ready for um for Canada and that Olympic qualifier. But yeah, I think it'll be a very different Canada team. I think they've got an interesting dilemma. They've got these boys that have played established sevens um for, from over the series, or do they bring all these boys back that haven't played sevens and hope they can gel them together and they can get them fit? Because, you know, the reality is, as I've I've articulated, you can make the transfer back from fifteen to sevens, of course you can, but there's a three month adjustment on the conditioning. Um and it'd be interesting to see all these boys that have been overseas, that are playing 15s in the Welsh leagues, uh, in the Scottish leagues and in the English leagues, whether they can make that adjustment back to, 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 to play the game of sevens. And, you know, they're good players. I mean, they, they finished fifth in the world last year and, you know, they've got a lot of talent. Um, I'm not sure whether they've got a confirmed style upon the which they're playing and approaching the game of sevens at the moment. I think there's a little bit of conflict going on there. Um, but look, you know, they've no doubt done a SWOT analysis of, on us. We will do a SWOT analysis on them. We know the players that they can call in. The player, we, you know, I've got in-depth understanding of how every one of their players plays on the world circuit. Um, you know, being followed, being either on the circuit coaching or being the commentator that's been pulling it apart. So, my knowledge of their individual players is good and what they can offer and what they can bring, and we'll be ready. Um, and it will come down to 14 minutes, which is tough for one one side. Right, that's true. Very tough. Because you lose, you go into the repechage, and everybody sort of agrees that the repechage is probably going to be even harder because uh, there's going to be somebody like Samoa or Australia in that repechage. Well, well, potentially, I mean, but yeah. or, or could be England or France. Well, not that's England, true. sorry. won't be England. Yeah. It would be yeah. Great, Br- Great Britain. Great Britain, yeah, that's true. Um, which is a can of worms in itself. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I can, can imagine. Um, all right. Well, uh, Mike Friday, thank you very much for taking the time. We uh, we know there's a lot going on, uh, but uh, good news from the U.S. Uh, seven seaman. Thanks a lot. Thank you. 
Okay, so that was uh, Mike Friday in the interview. And guys, well, first of all, he uh, didn't exactly pull any punches when it came to the referees. Uh, he um, is pretty direct that he's unhappy with, number one, the consistency of calls on the breakdown, and number two, uh, he thinks that teams like the USA, and he mentioned Kenya when he coached Kenya, uh, don't get... What was the term you kept using? The rub of the green. He doesn't. They don't get the the luck of the draw when there's a fifty fifty call. Fair? Is he is he just uh, a little bit of sour grapes? Well, first off, do? from a media guy's perspective, he's a he's a reporter's dream because he's honest. So when you talk to the guy, you're gonna get you're gonna get his actual thoughts, and he, he's you know always good for a quote or two. Um, so you know that's that. But no, it's fair. And, and anybody who is watching international rugby at any kind of, with any kind of regularity, whether it's sevens or fifteens, that doesn't know this to be fact that there is a tier two, tier one bias in sevens and fifteens, um, it loses all credibility with me. So, the fact that Mike is willing to call a spade a spade and talk about it, um, I think is great, and he's one hundred percent right. Does that mean he's right on every call? No, because there are 50-50 calls that go the USA's way that maybe shouldn't. But there were clearly four passes against New Zealand that wound up in tries. Um, so, you know, anybody who doesn't actually admit or see that there is a Tier 2, uh, Tier 1 bias in rugby, 15s and 7s, loses all credibility with me. Bruce, what do we do about that? Do we play our way well, out of like that? It's like the old boxing addicts. you got to knock out the champ. And that's just the way it is. The referees are judged by how they ref. And, and the fact of the matter is, to the winners go the spoils. And they're the people who are judging the refs are from countries where they are uh, where they're winning. So if you want to have refs that are judged, in, in preferably to you, and I know they, and nobody's going to going to admit any of this you're going to have to win and if you win then your referees are seen as better because if you're a winning team and then you go over and say oh those referees are hopeless it's easy to say that if if you're not winning all the time and you're complaining about referees in winning countries like oh yeah you're just a a whiner and I, I think that while Mike Friday is quotable, I would be careful of calling any coach, especially an international coach or a professional coach, as honest because most of what comes out of coaches' mouths to the media is done for some sort of effect and some sort of reason that is beneficial to themselves in in some way. They may be quotable. They may be. I, I would. I would go so far as to say I, w- I wouldn't call all of them honest <laughs> and, and that doesn't that doesn't I don't mean that in a negative I, way I mean that and they understand the game of entertainment and Mike Mike is a Mike is as close to a shirt on the you know where's his emotions on the sleeve as a guy as I've covered um and you know I I tweeted something about a game I think it was Dubai or something about a game these calls like yeah I could tell you could tell it was something to the effect of you could tell Mike Friday is realizing he's not going to get the same calls with USA that he did for England. And he actually tweeted minutes after the game, you're right about that. You know, so no matter how calculated a coach is, 
they're not going into the locker room two minutes after the game and then calculating this retweet or this reply in a tweet. So I, I think that you do get a lot of truthfulness out of Mike. Well, he, he uh, you know, uh, f- first of all, he, he does he does want something to happen on the official side, and the thing is that he has, you know, you, God, there's so many things I want to tie in from what you guys said. Um, Bruce, we can. There's a way to get around winning, and that is to have a winning coach or to have a coach with a reputation. And with Friday, what you have is a guy who can go into the referees' meeting and say, "This is BS. I don't like this. this. is ridiculous." And he doesn't get in trouble for it. He knows he's got a little bit of leeway, so he's he's able to say these things to get something out there saying we're getting we're getting the shaft. Um, at, at the same time. Pat, I think Mike Friday is a great coach for a reporter, and partly it's not so much, I don't know about, you know, honesty, whatever. He He's quotable, and he allows himself to be quotable. I send him an email, right? I'm sure you've done this. You send him an email. What was your thought about that, that you know, day two? And you get 400 words in a response. No, You know, th- there are so many people who don't do that, don't want to go. Bang, he just sends it out. I'm just here so I don't get um, fined. Does he want something? I'm just here so I don't get fined. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's that's what that's what. Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking. Uh, he, the he he's using. Yeah, he uses us. Right. He uses us. If he wants to send a message to a player and says a player is dogging it, he'll use us. After the uh, second game in Vegas, when the the Eagles players did not play to the standard he wanted against Portugal. He was very adamant that he he wanted that done. He said, what was it like? This kind of selfish, individualistic play is going to be shut down right now. But is, it, is he dishonest in saying using us he's to put not. that message out as well. <laughs> no, no, he's not dishonest. I didn't say he's not dishonest, but I mean, we, we all know that this dance is being danced, but it's fun. It's a good dance. I, I don't, so I don't mean dishonest. Okay? I, I'm, he's using, there's a useful, you're, they're using people for effect. There's a, it's, it's entertainment, and I think he understands, he gets the entertainment value of the press. And I, I think that, that I think it's all a bit of a semantical thing. It is. But I also think that Friday is confident enough in himself that he can say what he wants, even if it's not calculated and no one ain't going to come back on him. I think he's confident enough in himself to do that. Semantical is that kind of, some kind of insight? I I would um, well the one thing I would have to say is I would concur that the referees, basically at all levels, need to be better. And the we could talk until you're blue. The problem is that these players and coaches and everything they they train six seven days a week, and they they live this whole stuff. And the referees, I don't think, work as hard as they should, especially the prof- like professional referees have to work harder. And even amateur referees, if the only time you're refing or the only time you're doing anything about it is, 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 going, to a, uh, is going to your games, then you're essentially practicing on people who have put a lot into being – you know, being good and, and you're affecting their lives. So I think that the referees owe it to themselves to go to practices 
and try to hone their craft at practices, especially the quote unquote better ones. We, yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know what? I just get the feeling that refs, even at the international level, are still refereeing by gestalt. And they're just looking at something is done. It looks wrong. They'll, especially in the breakdown, they'll call something on it and say side entry, or or they'll they'll come up with something. But you know, if you if you look at the replay, you'll find that it's it's legal. It just looked wrong. And how many times you know we, we see you know the, Friday brought this up the whole tackle assist thing where the tackler makes the tackle. He bounces up. He has full rights to the ball. But if a second guy is coming in, that guy has to be policed in a different way. And and I agree with him that he's policed differently depending on what kind of shirt he wears. But some, sometimes you're seeing a tackler come in, make the tackle, jump up, grab the ball, and he'll, he's, he's penalized. He turns to the ref. He says, no, no, I, I was here right. And all you hear the ref say is, no. He doesn't really offer an explanation. The referee's supposed to offer an explanation. He doesn't. All he says is, no, you're wrong. And he's like, you, there's no side entry from I don't think the, I don't think referees owe you an explanation. So, I actually think that's a pain in the ass when they do. Oh, well, then you would hate me as a ref because well, I, I, I explained everything I it's do. It's a matter of they just make the call, spare us the lecture. <laughs> that's it. And I'm not saying that. If you want, if you choose to give it, but spare us the lecture. Don't pull me over to tell me stuff. I don't want to hear it. I had a referee uh, at Indoor Sevens, which is just chaos tournament a few weeks ago that I was helping run. I always help run, and uh, kid steps out of bounds, and I'm getting just lambasted, screamed at from the sideline about how we didn't play advantage, and I ended the half. And I just, I this, you know, I I had to yell, you'll get the advantage when you were out of bounds. <laughs> So there's right. there's some times yeah. when you need to talk to some people, but that's just yeah. um, a right. little bit of a funny anecdote. If it that is cute, that's cute. All right, um, we're gonna wrap up the sevens portion of this, but I I, I think what I want to check with you guys on is, you know, we talked a little bit about this about real improvement. Was this was this as great as it seemed being top four? the USA. Um, I know in terms of the points, in terms of the, the standings it was. Um, and I want to look also at Hong Kong and see what what their uh, what their chances are there. Because I kind of think maybe they've they've got a chance to be in, in a bit of a run here. What's their pool in Hong Kong? Oh, well, you're asking me to come up with that right now. Hold on one second. I will tell you in just a few minutes. So I'm actually trying to. They are in, uh, they are in Pool D with England, Kenya, and Wales. So this is, this is the Hong Kong is back to, I mean, they're just doing 16 teams. Um, they have another lower core, uh, lower level tournament to see who could be promoted up to the core, but um, uh, so it's just it's 16 teams as it is everywhere else. But they are uh, in with England, Kenya, and Wales. So well, I think it's a big pool for them for a lot of different reasons. One is, I think if you look bigger picture with the Olympic qualification, um, they really need England to not catch Australia. Because if they can get three of those Oceania teams to qualify through the, the series, 
That means Samoa is probably going to take the Oceania uh, bid. England will probably take the Europe bid. And then the best team left in the repechage would be like a France or a Portugal, which the United States shouldn't be afraid of. So if they lose that 14-minute battle against Canada in the North American qualifier, and we're all assuming, I hope, that, that they don't um, – you know, they're not going to qualify through the top four. But the ramifications of this pool now, I'm being a little bit overdramatic, but if they can help keep England down or out of the top eight, because them and Australia are neck and neck, I think it, they could help them in the Olympic qualification process long term. Um, but yes, I do think that this is real improvement. This is not fool's gold. I think this is the improvement that we saw, um, much like the improvement we saw with Magleby. Um perhaps even on a bigger scale because we may have more athleticism and firepower than we did then. Um, and, and I think that they're a force to be reckoned with the rest of the tournament or for the rest of the series. And their goal, um, their their bottom barrel goal should be top eight every single time. And when you win and you get into the top eight and you get in the semifinals, then you set yourself up with a pool like this where it's conceivable that you win the whole thing. I think you have to back it up. Uh, the, the always the problem with the U.S. has been consistency. They've won, but they've won on the role they're coaches. And at, at different times, they've had they've had some good results. And it's a matter of are they able to back it up? They've had day one success, day two success, very seldom. And I know that Vegas is a three day, but really, if you, if you skip the one game day that they have. It's, they, you know, you day one success, your day two success. When we have day one and day two success on two successive tournaments, meaning semifinals or something like that, or, or a, a tight loss quarterfinal and a, and a plate victory, then that would be great. But I, the proof is going to be in, can they back up? What's the Hong, what's after Hong Kong? The, the, what's the two, two game hit here? Tokyo. So they Tokyo. Tokyo. So if they can go final eight in Hong Kong and Tokyo, or and get a final four in one of them, then hey, then yeah, that then it's real. If they don't, then it's not. Then it's more of a thing. Oh, okay. So um, my take on this: what, what we we didn't really discuss the fact that Friday and I talked about the potential for uh, USA finishing top four in the standings. Probably not going to happen. It's possible it could happen, uh, but uh, your point, Pat, about uh, keeping England out and putting New Zealand, uh, Fiji, and Australia up in the top four is very well taken. That's uh, that's a big deal. Uh, here's the thing: to me, I, I I do like how they're playing, and I'm happy that they're performing certain things. And and I thought. Some of their results, great. The Canada game really excited me. I thought they played well there. But uh, the last two tournaments, the teams they've beaten are uh, Japan twice, France, Portugal, and Canada. They played South Africa three times in the last two, two tournaments, and they lost twice, and they tied them once. They played Scotland, lost. They played Fiji, lost. Close games, very, very close games, but they lost them. And they lost uh, also to New Zealand. So uh, when we're looking at these points coming in, part of it is that they're getting favorable draws. And they're, they're, they're due the favorable draws. 
after all the time of getting unfavorable draws. That's fine. But they really do have to back it up. I like this pool that they're in because every single one of the teams that they're playing is a tough team. Uh, and a team they could beat. So they could win. If they win this pool, like I'm on board 100%. Hey, they've made top eight three times in a row, something they do very, no, very I, rarely. I, I, t- totally, the totally. Four, but, the fourth time ever. They, but they, but are, they, are they beating the teams they need to beat to really perform? And I'm just not sure they are. And and it's not their fault. Nobody, they, you know, they were they were matched up with Japan. They had to play Japan. You have to beat them. And they beat them extremely well, which I'm impressed with. It's not like it was eking it out. The pool, you know, it, it, Bruce says, you got to back it up. This is the pool in Hong Kong. That's the one to back it up in. All right. I'll be, I'll be the optimistic that's the, that's one the opportunity. for once. I'll be that's the optimistic one for once. You're the optimistic one. All right. Um, we are going to switch gears here a little bit. We talk a little bit about college rugby because college rugby is getting is heating up big time. We're just coming off in uh, a, a recently a couple of interesting results. One of them being Davenport over Arkansas State, sixteen to seven, and Cal over UCLA, eighteen to twelve. So, so Pat's especially. In these games, uh, you know, I think I think Cal actually dominated possession over uh, UCLA. I don't. I think it was more that they just had trouble uh, breaking through that defensive line. So I don't know if that's a big uh, down result for Cal. And Davenport over Arkansas State, uh, snow on the field, perhaps a bit of a narrow field. Maybe that played into Davenport's hands. So is you know on, on a on a sunny wide. Uh, field in May is Davenport better than Arkansas State? I don't know. I don't know what you think. Well, Davenport Arkansas State's interesting because Arkansas State is, I mean, they've got a lot of injuries. and <laughs> I mean, more than most teams usually carry to some very key players. Now, to all fairness, Davenport when they went over last year had some pretty big injuries themselves. So, uh, you know, that's part of this, the cycle of rugby. Um, so, I, you kind of don't want to read too much into the win to say that Arkansas State's down or Davenport's really up. But, um, you know, they, it was a really close game last year in Jonesboro, which I was at, when Davenport didn't have J.P. Eloff and Arkansas State was at pretty well full strength. And then you flip it this year, and now Arkansas State's pretty hurt, and Davenport's got J.P. Eloff, and, well, they're pretty good. You know, and then they Davenport wins. So I think Davenport was kind of unfairly – judged a little bit last year not that they have to rely on jp for everything but when you have i mean take take madison hughes off dartmouth and have them play a tougher schedule and you'll see what it really does to the team so when you have a guy like that that's that that transcendent it, it makes a big difference so i think davenport is a lot better um this spring than they were last year if for elof's presence nothing else um arkansas state will be back up and they'll have some of those injuries that will come back by the time that they ramp up into the varsity cup uh, UCLA Cal. I'm not saying I'm not reading too much into. If Cal goes out and beats Utah this weekend by 60, 70 points, then that mean anything. If Utah goes out there and keeps it closer, even crazier wins, then it's quite a big deal. I mean, it's not often that Cal is going into a, a game where the team that they're playing has a better, you know, common opponents. Uh, 
point differential than you do. It's not often. Yeah, that right. Team so would, you, would have Utah beat. You're right. Utah beat UCLA 38 nothing. Right. Uh, those who don't, and, and so so it's a 32 point differential on that. It's also pretty rare that a team you know gets a bonus point off a of Cal. So um, kudos to UCLA for bouncing back, and, and we'll see. I mean, I think this is a pretty good Cal team. Um, so the fact that these other teams are coming up, I think, is more than anything uh, a good sign for college rugby. Um, but, yeah, we'll see this weekend with, with the Utes and, and Cal. Bruce, what do you think about, you know, you're usually the guy saying, hey, injuries happen, coaches got to deal with them. But, you know, when you have a player of the caliber of someone like J.P. Eloff, uh, you know, you're uh, one of the best at number 10s in college rugby, makes a difference to a team, especially a team that's sort of forward heavy. No, I mean, I, I agreed that all great players make a difference. And they were able to perform without them. They 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 just happened to be in a in a brutal conference. That's the the fact of the matter is they were in a brutal conference. It did get to the final eight last year, so it wasn't like they it wasn't like they couldn't perform. So and I, what we saw this weekend is good for college rugby. What we saw is that Cal is no longer so dominant. That you know, there's one or two teams that can play with them. That it's it, it's become more like, say, now maybe there's six teams that can play with them. Maybe eight. Maybe there's four. Whatever it is, but there's more than one, and that's a good thing for college rugby. And then there's other, you know, to see that Arkansas State, who would be a team that you would say could play with Cal, would be one of those teams. Lost the game to Davenport. Well, that's great. Whether Davenport is going to back that up, I don't know. But they they beat a, a very high quality team, and uh, and they and they also beat Lindenwood in the fall, seven to three. There's factors behind around that game, yeah. But they've they've done that twice now, and there's factors around every game, and and yeah. and and nothing. Nobody's ever playing at full strength all the time. You can even if you listen to podcasts or videos or, or things of different players like we go into the preseason we, and you never ever and I'm talking at the elite professional level you never ever play at 100% full strength you're always carrying some kind of an injury and niggle or something like that that's every single guy now in college rugby these guys are amateurs they work their butts off and but they are amateurs and some of them train more professionally than others and you, you always wind up with niggling injuries the entire season. And it's a matter of managing your way through that, having depth, having belief in yourself, but also focusing your game around defense because defense tends to be more consistent than attack. And and I think that's what Davenport has gotten correct. What they learned without J.P. Eloff is that if you focus your game on defense – and you keep things tight when you get them back, you'll get your points. But in the event you don't, you still can play those tight arm wrestle games. If you play track meets, it, it's hard. It's hard when your attack isn't isn't fo- functioning at its optimal level. So you always want to have a team that's focused on defense, because defense is more consistent than attack. Well, UCLA's UCLA's. Defense was uh, 
very consistent against Cal, and I wonder if U Utah's will be the same. So it'll be kind of a weird little juxtaposition of uh, of results there. You guys ever watch the TV show Nikita from the late nineties? The Femme Nikita. The, no, yeah, the 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 one with the 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 tall Australian woman. Peter, Was it on the uh, USA Channel? Yeah, yeah. So there was a character on there. Every time they went on a mission and it was going to go wrong or there was a screw-up, there was a character who would be the one who gets blamed, and his name was Davenport. And so every time <laughs> I think about Davenport University, I think about Davenport, the character. Uh, um, My he, he came to a sofas as Davenport's. Yeah, well, uh, Davenport or Chesterfield. Being, if you're Canadian, you'd call it a Chesterfield. Uh, the... Uh, uh, Utah, Utah's kind of an exciting team. It'd be interesting to see how how they deal with uh, what's going on ahead of them, and and we're we're coming into the BYU St. Mary's series. That's going to be very exciting to see because St. Mary's looks well. I I mean they look phenomenal. They they played some men's club teams and lost, and and I and you know that Coach Tim O'Brien was probably happy about that, humbled his team a little bit. But against uh, collegiate competition, some really I mean against Utah against. Uh, uh, Arizona State uh, against San Diego State—they've just—they've uh, just racked up the points, so they've been impressive so far. I got two questions, Alex. I don't know if you had somewhere you were going, yeah. but one is—I think it's a—it's a story that I love to write, but it's impossible to get anything out of Tim O'Brien other than, "Oh, we're just not very good." I don't know how he won that game. Um, is how? Why is St. Mary's so much better now? I mean, Johnny and Tim have been coaching that group for. How many years? Why are they all of a sudden so much better? And, and what are they doing with the, without the resources that all the other teams have to to be as good as they are? And the other storyline that I think is interesting to track, and I'm really throwing these both to you, Bruce, because you know Tim so well, and now you're so immersed in the college game is, you know, and me as a new college coach. Uh, BYU and Cal have, for a long time, basically played one season. They don't play fall and spring. They don't uh, subscribe to the theory that more more rugby makes you better and is all the, is you know the way to go. You have to play more games. They play their one season, then they use their off season for strength and conditioning. And I'm just curious to see if those teams continue to be better than the teams that play nine months out of the year. That play fifteen month, you know, fifteens nine months out of the year. Which you could make an argument BYU and. And then St. And St. Mary's falls into that category are the two best teams of the last several years with Cal in there as well. And they're all those one season teams. I think, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, Jack, Jack Clark will stand by his assertion that um, you can play too much rugby. And at the same time, he's kind of had to have his uh, team play more because they play sevens in the fall a little bit. Um, and I, I think for the Californian teams, it's never going to change. It's always going to be ideal for them to start December, January and just run right through. And that's going to be, that's always a nice season for them. Um, the, the, the teams that play in the fall and the spring will have coaches who say, and I think it's a fair point. You got to play more games than say 10 games a season because you've got to develop players and develop skill. Uh, so, um, I mean, Cal, Cal just, Cal and St. Mary's pack a lot of games into a short period of time. I don't know over time if it's the optimal number. I have no idea. I think a lot of it comes down to, 
horses for courses. I, I like the teams in the East that play fall rugby. Most of them do spring seven, so it's a it's a singular season. And, and you get a team like ours that plays fall rugby and then has a uh, and then we're gonna play four, possibly five games that three of them are, are pretty non-competitive in the spring and two of them are reasonably competitive. Um, you know, Saint, we're going to play St. Mary's, but it's not going to be their top group. And, and then we're going to – so I, I, I would consider it to use it like spring football. I, I think the one-season model works. I think it's a sensible way to be. So that's – I just happen to think that the sensible season is the fall. And that's that's unlikely to change for our teams either. So uh, that that's always there's never going to be a, either they're going to come to the fall or there's never going to be a national championship again. Um, then that all said, why is St. Mary's good? Number one, they've they've taken on board serious strength and conditioning that's run by Volney Rouse, and I think that's that's a, a big part of it. Number two is that. Tim and Johnny have built a strong foundation from where they operated their game plan in attack that was almost a run-and-gun game plan that possibly let some of the defense go, go slip in and some other things. Now they, they've, they've come to a more comprehensive thing where set piece is extremely important. So scrums and lineouts are taken – They've always been taken seriously, but now they're taken extremely seriously as they're the platform to launch your attack and defense. They've taken their defensive um, mindset and their defensive practices to a new level so that they feel they have a lot of certainty and they're able to have a bit of a launch and a bit of confidence in the way they play defense. So, And they practice it a lot. And then with their attack... They have what Tim calls his motion offense, which he's come to Iona to uh, help us with on on several. He's probably been there four times. He'll probably have another few sessions when he's in New York, and and it's it's essentially there's a lot of there's a lot of movement off a of nine, and so that they, they stress the interior defense. So if you put three defenders, like say a pillar A B or something, in that in that area, guarding the ruck around ten. You're in deep shit playing St. Mary's because they're they're gonna they're gonna exploit those holes. Now, if you pop another person in there, they have that exact same motion going off a of ten. So what they do is they force you to compress your defense, and then they can do the exact same thing off a of twelve. And and then adding insult to injury, there they have they have a way to attack slow ball options to create fast ball and cut off a lot of defenders in the process of creating the fast ball. So you might have you might have them caught up on the sideline, they're reloading and they have and they, they get slow ball and you and you have a line of nine defenders, say there's two guys in the ruck, uh, a scrum half, so that's three, three back, that's six, you got nine left and they're out and they're going to blitz the living snot out of you. St. Mary's isn't just going to go to a pick-and-go or run an A-ball where they just smack a thing right into, you know, crash themselves into a, into a brick wall. <clears throat> While they do have that where they could snap it and go, they also have this thing that they do off a, 
off of the fly half where they they have a couple of options. <clears throat> and it really puts teams under intense pressure. And the fact is, they practice those things all the time. None of it is difficult. None of it is really earth-shattering for that matter. <clears throat> but what it is, is it's a belief in playing an aggressive defense to try to be able to create opportunities for yourself and attack. It's playing an aggressive set piece to try to create opportunities to get good game line and scoring opportunities in first phase. And then when you get your good game line and quick ball, to be able to utilize that in a motion situation that causes the defenses to freeze. And when they freeze, you're taking the ball at pace and going through those holes. And even if it's a half hole, they're anticipating the offload and they practice those things a lot. And they practice doing that stuff with all the players. So they don't limit the fact that, say, their number eight may be a brilliant runner, their hooker may be a brilliant runner, and their blindside may be brilliant, and their inside center may be brilliant. They expect that all of their players are attacking options, and they work with them as such. And in doing that, that's the kind of thing that sometimes causes the mistakes that allow other teams to capitalize and why sometimes when you see that they'll play a Cal or a BYU or <clears throat> or a team that they that they could play and then you say like holy crap, St. Mary's gave up thirty points, they may have scored forty five. The reason is that they they score forty five because they take chances, but sometimes they give up thirty because they take chances. Against teams that can't cope with them, they don't give up anything. And they just score. It, Lindenwood had such a powerful, bashing, smashing team. And St. Mary's just allowed them to play right into that hands. And then they just, and they just buried them out wide. And they just put them under a lot of pressure and smacked the hell out. It was like, I think it gave them the shock of their life. But St. Mary's, the reason that they were able to do that and the reason that they're better is that they basically stood on the shoulders of the people that came before them. And really built their game plan around it. They don't have any specific, they don't have great size. They certainly don't have great strength. They, they're, they're, they work hard. They're hardworking college kids, but they're not big. They're not they're fast, but they're not. Okay. Can, can, can I jump in? Cause I, I want to, I want to answer that question in a different way. Um, because you answered it well on the coaching side, but on the, uh, uh on the, on the program side, no, they, they don't have a varsity program and they don't have, a lot of money, but they do have some money behind the, the program, which helps. They have support on campus, which I think is huge, and that support has grown with their success. But uh, I, I think it's more that the, the program has always been supported in terms of just, we like what you're doing here, in, in that sense. You know, they had, a, they had a nice field, they knew where they were playing, that kind of stuff. And then with the growth of the high school rugby in Northern California, uh, and the growth of high school rugby in Catholic schools, especially Christian Brothers schools, right? Um, there's a there's there's a talent pool there, and there are kids that look around and say, you know what? I'm not sure I want to go play rugby at Cal. I think that that program, the way they run things, they they're great, but that's too intense for me in a certain way. Even though St. Mary's is enormously intense. They work extremely hard, and the, you know they work in their fitness like crazy. But 
I think that they're, they provide an option. So the, the proximity to Cal also helps because over the years, St. Mary's has always been able to play the best team in the country or close to it. Uh, and, and, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you're also talking about UC Davis, who were really good and probably are trying to get their way back there. The Northern California League for the longest time was as strong a league as you were going to get. Um, so the, the level of competition is there. Um, the support on campus is there, even if it's not to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the talent pool is there. And I think the final thing is that they've had the same coaching pair who do it basically as hobbies, right, Bruce? Yeah, no, they don't get paid yet. They're able to, partly because Tim O'Brien's job is such that he's, I, I don't think the guy ever sleeps, but he's at work at like, what, 5 a.m. or something. Um, and and so he's out and ready to coach every day. Uh, that they just, they're just dedicated to it because they want to do it. And, and I think that you look back when Cal was um, just really getting started in the era that it's in now in the eighties and Jack Clark come in, he, he was dedicated to it. He decided that's what he was going to do is he was going to be, he was going to coach the number one college program in the country. And, uh, you know, people used to make, you know, make complaints about the money involved in the program, which he helped build, by the way, and the money he was paid when a lot of people weren't being paid. Well, you know what? He created that scenario, and he created it because he threw himself 100% into that effort. And I think that those are the guys who are successful. No, there's no doubt about it. And <clears throat> the fact is they, they've all done a great job, and everything is and, – and as you said, that they – Rugby's changed, and there's a lot more good rugby programs. There's a lot more people that I don't necessarily know that UC Davis is any better or worse than they used to be. It's just that St. Mary's is a lot better. Catholic better. BYU's a lot better. Okay, so um, I don't know if we can explain it all, but uh, you know the, that's one of the interesting things is that uh, we talk about the, the model being varsity and paid coaches and a huge endowment. What if you don't have all of that and you can still win? Um, the, the, it's, it's possible, isn't it? Uh, Bruce, um, actually, no, before that. We were talking about Arkansas State. Uh, Arkansas State won the CRC qualifier at uh, Las Vegas, and uh, the CRC, uh, Pat, the CRC has opened up their doors and said, come on in, uh, Red Wolves. Uh, everyone excited about Arkansas State being in the tournament? Uh, I think that there is some excitement. Yeah, that you know that they're a good, a very good team. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, th I think that, you know I didn't hear anybody say anything outwardly negative. That's for sure. Well, I'm excited they're in. They should, you know. Now you've got the national champions from from all the different quote unquote uh, national championships. Unless, well, I guess if you count the ACRC as a national championship, you don't because you don't have AIC, but. Um, yeah, I think it's it's overall good for the tournament, and uh, I'm happy happy for the guys at Arkansas State, but at the same time, a little heartbroken for the guys at AIC that they they just missed it. Who's in it? Who's in the CRC now? Do you want me to list all the teams? I do actually want you to list all the teams. Okay, let me. I'm gonna have to look it up here and cheat. I think it would be great if if there was another opening in the let's see the CAIC in it. 
You got Arizona, Cal, Dartmouth. That's okay. That was that was way off. You got. Air, <laughs> Air, I was about to say Drexel, so that was previous year. Yeah. Air Force, Arizona, Arkansas State, Cal, Dartmouth, Kutztown, Michigan, Life, Navy, Notre Dame, Penn State, St. Joe's, Temple, Texas, Virginia Tech, UCLA. And then you've got the winners of the Big Ten, the ACRL, and the SCRC. And then there's one more invite to be handed out. one more wild card left. Uh, what's the bet on that? It doesn't look like it's going to be Army. No, it's Army's be, out. Army yeah, can't yeah, do it because of their varsity right. restrictions. And right. Okay, not so they, they're, they're definitely out. Not, it doesn't well, look I think like that the Black Knights uh, will be involved going forward, just not this year. Sure. Okay. Uh, um. AIC is AIC on the table. Um, I, I feel like if AIC were in it, they would load up the buses and they would uh, they would get a lot of fans in there, as many as they could. But that's that age old CRC argument that we've had, right? I yeah. mean, Kutztown would have done the same thing, and I think Kutztown's had the biggest crowd the last two years at the at the CRC, but they weren't invited for a little while. <laughs> so I don't expect to see AIC get it. I think that it would be great if they did. I think they would put butts in seats and obviously they're competitive. Um, and they're a team that's also, as you have pointed out, been around since 1800, what the 1880s, 1880s. Yeah. So they actually have accrued some alumni. It's not quite like life where, uh, they've got like 42 alumni around the country. Uh, AIC has got, you know, over a hundred years of graduating classes. So I think it would be great for AIC. However, I would expect it to be one of your greatest hits of CRC's past. That you know, because at this point it's kind of late in the game to step in and do a good job of selling tickets and meeting the requirements and all those things. You know, I would I would probably guess that it's one of those teams that doesn't excite you but has been in it before. Yeah, uh, probably will maybe a local team. Maybe I'm Oklahoma, thinking, maybe Northeastern, maybe, maybe Ohio State. I, uh, uh, I I would not be surprised if it's AIC. I, I, I know that that kind of goes against the business model a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's AIC. They play an exciting brand of rugby. They are arguably the best sevens team in the East Coast. They are uh, – and – Sevens on the East Coast and West Coast is, as far as I'm concerned, it's equal. And the, because, um, the, you know, you're on an equal playing field, and, and, and so the results have been equal. And I think that'll happen in 15s as well when you go to fall stuff. But um, the, so I, I think it will be AIC. It, it's not that far. It's only three and a half hours from Philly. It's, it's not that big of a deal for them. And I think that they will put the people in the stands and they play an entertaining brand of rugby. They play a brand that people want to see. And so regardless of the type of school it is, I know that the whole thing about people care if this team's in or that team's in or that team's in the final. The reality is people care if it's exciting and good to watch. And when Dartmouth won those years, Dartmouth was exciting and good to watch. When Cal played Kutztown, it was exciting and good to watch. And this year, if AIC's in it, they'll be very exciting and good to watch, and they'll give you 
a lot of good Saturday a lot of good Saturday footage, and 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 then possibly even give you some good Sunday footage, depending on how everything shakes out. But that's a very good team that can bring people there. They'd be crazy not to have them. You know, Pat, uh, you and I, and I, I think especially you, but we we both should take some credit for some of the some of the changes in this tournament because we campaigned pretty hard for certain teams. Uh, Life University um, qualified to get in and then stayed in because of what they did on the field and also in the stands. But we campaigned for them, and I think the idea of continuing to push the the idea that you don't have to have um, a team that had a good football team in the 1970s to, uh, to be in this tournament. I campaigned pretty hard for UCLA um, and uh, was happy to see them uh, uh, invited. And I think I had something to do with that. Uh, Air Force, we talked about that, getting them in there. Finally, they're in there. Uh, and Kutztown, again, as you mentioned, there was just such a no-brainer team to put in there. And they didn't put them in. They didn't put them in when they were runners-up in the quali- in the old qualifier. They didn't put them in. So it's, it's, um, it is shifting as the organizers are would you agree that the organizers are are recognizing that there is the value to a really good team that they can then turn to the TV viewer and say you may not know much about Arkansas State but in fact and then go through the whole story okay. no comment yeah okay okay the cuz if they went just with names why isn't Oregon there, right? Or or Oregon has has had a terrific football team for uh, for years, uh, has a great relationship with Nike. Is it something that's like why isn't Oregon there? Because Oregon's getting better, but they're not really all that good in sevens, and they're on the other side of the country. Well, but, if Oregon had ever made the trip to the LVI, I think there's a pretty good chance they would be in. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, uh, th- there are some teams that are not there, that are not going, uh, that are unlikely to go. Um, Let me tell you, the couple ones that baffle me are, why, where's Arizona State? You know, Arizona is no better a brand than Arizona State, and Arizona State's actually quite good. What, what, you know, yeah, some- Ari- and Arizona, Arizona State's an excellent sevens team. Where is where's Texas A and M? How come? Yeah. How come they keep inviting Texas and, and OU and Texas A and M never gets a shot? Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna I, look. I, we've had I'll, these. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. I can tell you why. First of all, no, there's a level of ignorance there. There's a level of ignorance about understanding what are teams that are recognized and what are not, and. There's also a, a, a lack of faith in the idea that a, a, a college sports fan can understand that a, a, a team is good at one thing and not at another, right? So if if you say you're going to go see uh, St. John's versus Villanova in football, people are going to go, so? But if you're going to see St. John's versus Villanova in basketball, suddenly that's a good game, and we know that. And we know that... Uh, Denver University against Boston University is a great hockey game, but not a great soccer game. We can figure it out. Uh, and Central Washington, St. Mary's, Lindenwood, Utah, Arizona State, Cal Poly, Texas A&M, it's off the top of my head, all very good teams who could, who are going to, who are great sevens programs. Um, but 
there's a there's not a full saturated understanding that Texas A&M is is just as good a name in college sports as Texas. It's just not there. And Arizona State and Arizona same deal. Arizona State, right? If you if you're talking baseball, you're talking Arizona State. Great, one of the greatest baseball programs in the country, if not the best. Over, you're talking softball. Time. You're talking Jenny Finch, Arizona. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, right. Um, we're going to have a national championship. USA Rugby is going to put one a week before the CRC. Who knows how that's going to work out? I think it might work out okay. It'll be fun to watch and be interesting to see if any CRC teams go to that tournament to warm up for the next week. I think a couple of them will, um, just because I think they need the time. Yeah, those with means will make the trip. I mean, I think those with means will try to win two trophies and yeah. Use that weekend as a warm up. Right. I, th- I I could I could see I could see Notre Dame going. I think I think they need I I think they want to play. Well they haven't announced where it is yet, have they? No. But um Tennessee. Watch out for Tennessee. So uh well that should do it. I don't know if anybody's gonna pull the big double. Um you never know. I I, I, I kinda like Life University for that. I kinda like Life University to maybe put up two two completely sevens different sevens teams and see how they do. Um but I think that's going to do it for this one. Um, we have already uh, covered, let's see, what we, what have we covered? He, uh, referees, right? the uh, Olympic qualifying, the Sevens World Series, uh, top collegiate teams, how St. Mary's does it, and the CRC. We did all of that. Don't forget the Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. I'm Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report with Pat Clifton from Rugby Today and also Lindenwood University, Belleville, and Bruce McLean from Iona College. And uh, you can see Rugged Matrix International on the RuggedMatrix.com show uh, website, and you can also see the Rugged Matrix America uh, past episodes on that. You can also check out Golf Rugby Report for that. You can also find Rugby Matrix America on iTunes. Pretty much, you can't swing a dead rugby coach without hitting some kind of download of Rugby Matrix America. So go do that. And we thank you very much for listening to Rugby Matrix America.